Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Great to be speaking to you once again. Welcome to you if you're watching this in our Shoreham site or Hove site, Oasis site, Clarendon Centre, or are watching this online. You're joining us uh, at the beginning, really, the first few weeks of a series that we've entitled Hope is Here. We are looking at the person of Jesus. We're looking at the gospel account of Matthew and different interactions, basically, that Jesus had with people that show us different sides of who he is. Jesus himself is the Christian hope. And so if you're here and you're kind of new to Christianity, this is the perfect kind of series for you because it puts Jesus front and center. You can get to know what he is like, what his claims are, and why Christians choose to follow him. But for all of us, I think we're particularly in a season now, sort of socially, where there is a lot of bleakness, a lot of reasons for discouragement and being reminded again of Jesus, our hope and everything that we have in him uh, is hopefully a wonderful encouragement to you. The passage that we have got to this week is from Matthew 19. You've just heard it. And it's a short passage there describing how children were on one occasion brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them. It's a, it's a lovely story, isn't it? it Maybe even if you're not used to coming to church, this passage or, and what's contained in it might be quite familiar to you. Have you ever been to a christening or baby dedication or maybe it's cropped up in school assemblies? These words, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. That's what Jesus says here. And it might be familiar to you and also, it's worth saying that the, the word used talking about children here, the Greek word used is indicating that it's probably the picturing the scene, we're picturing babies being brought uh, to Jesus. Uh, and that shows or indicates to us at least that just, I guess, something of the, the nature of Jesus, that people wanted him to pray for them, bless them, shows really the kind-heartedness of Jesus' character and his nature. Right off the bat, we see that. You know, even uh, in the contemporary society that we live in, presidents, prime ministers, their trustworthiness or their character is shown on their, well, judged often on their ability to, to kiss babies. That seems to be a practice. I think I looked into it, sort of started in about the 19th century, you know, when... Uh, prospective candidates for presidency or prime minister would uh, be shaking hands and seeing crowds and kissing babies somehow came into that thing and people would say, oh, are they comfortable with that? It shows the humanity, shows that they are a, a genuine person and uh, if they weren't very good at it or looked awkward of it, that would be, oh, they're not, uh, not someone we can trust with this responsibility for somehow that became a judgment. But Jesus' approval rating, I think, certainly jumps up a few not uh, not here he certainly feels seems he is comforting he's welcoming of these children and also even rebuking the disciples which again we'd probably give a good tick the disciples oh don't bring the children to Jesus but Jesus is like no no let them come to me 
And it's true that in an ancient culture, like is being described here, children would have almost no value in society. They were, they were diminished quite a lot. And for Jesus to challenge that, challenge that social norm and treat them, even young children, as important to him, as precious to him, it shows and says something about what God is like. But it also continues a recurring theme that we see through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, where there are people in society that tend to be overlooked or marginalized. Jesus came to them. Jesus spent time with them, whether that be the poor, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those vulnerable, the sick. That's who Jesus wants to spend his time with. And in the same way, Jesus challenges the sort of stereotype and the, the thinking of society around him by saying, no, let the children come to me. He's demonstrating that children do seem to have a, of, be of special importance to God. And that's something we can learn and must learn and, and take on board. And that's definitely what is going on here. Children are important to God. But to be honest, I don't actually think that is the main point of this passage and the main thing that Jesus wants us to take away from it as we read it. Because if we're careful to read what Jesus says, he doesn't say, let the children come to me because they're more important than you think. Although I think that's implied to some extent. Jesus says, let the children come to me because to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is taking this example of children and wanting to point us towards a greater truth about the nature of Jesus' kingdom. The main point here is what he's saying is, look, I want to show you what children reveal to us about my eternal kingdom. But what is, what is that? What is Jesus saying by doing this? What does that phrase even mean? To such belongs the kingdom. I've been considering that this week. I wonder if you've considered that yourself before. I mean, it, it could mean that children are a perfect fit for the kingdom. Children, just because they are children, are ripe for the kingdom of heaven will come right in. And you know what? To be honest, I, I think in a sense that is very true. And the Bible gives us that indication. It's a common pastoral question that sadly some of us have come to and experienced. That question, with children, if they are to die... What happens to them? Will they enter into his kingdom? Jesus in the Gospels talks a lot about faith and believing upon him for eternal life. But children, they're, they're so young, they can't understand those things. Will children who die young be saved? What I would say to that, I think there has been widespread Christian agreement that the answer to that question is, yes, children will be with Jesus. And this passage helps us a great deal 
Firstly, as I've said, we see God's disposition towards children. His heart towards them. It's not just this passage. There's there's many passages in the Bible that speak to that. And also the Bible reveals God to be one who is fair, who is gracious. And so it follows to not holding children accountable in the same way we might hold an adult accountable. All those things are in the scripture. So I think in one sense for Jesus to say to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, that children are welcomed in to the kingdom. I think that there is evidence of that in this passage, that children might well indeed be a special case. It's great. We can have great confidence with that, I believe. However, I would say as well that we shouldn't make that exception into a rule. And this is an important passage in terms of how it's been used in church history because it's an important passage that many have used to say, to condone or and cited this passage to say, oh, we should baptize infants. And historically, this has been widespread in Christianity, inciting this verse. Well, look, Jesus is saying, to such belongs the kingdom. They're in the, they're in the kingdom or close to the kingdom. So baptizing them is something that is right and appropriate to do. Now, it would take a long time to talk about that topic as a whole. But suffice to say, that's not something that we do uh, in this church in terms of christen or baptize uh, infants. Because partly because Jesus is not talking about baptism here uh, at all. And actually, I think what Jesus is talking about is childlike faith. And any time in the scripture where it's talking about being baptized, it's, it's associated with faith. The repeated call of scripture is to believe and be baptized. That those two things, belief in Jesus, understanding the gospel message, believing and trusting in him and being baptized as a result is what we see in the New Testament time and time again. We also have a duty if you're a Christian parent, if you're part of this church, to raise our children in the faith so that when they profess that faith for themselves, to baptize them as a demonstration of that. If you've got questions about that, we'd love to answer them. Maybe we'll pick up that topic on live lunch. We're doing that each week now on a Tuesday as well. I'm sure we'll get into that sort of thing. But I thought it's worth mentioning those points about this passage. But really what I want to focus in on now is, I guess, the nature of faith. I believe that's what Jesus's main point is here. And I think we can see that by looking at the context of this passage. We've only read out a few verses here from Matthew 19. But even in there, you get an indication of what Jesus is really getting at. We're going to do a bit of Bible study here. If you are listening carefully, or if you have the passage in front of you, Matthew 19, 13 to 15, you'll notice the first word is then. Then. And uh, the Greek word that is used there is referring to, well, then, at that time. And so it relates to 
the previous conversation that's just been had. And so we need to look back to what has just happened as presented by Matthew as he's writing his gospel. What we find when we do that, we find that Jesus has just been involved in a fairly heated debate about marriage and divorce. And the end of that conversation is Jesus talking about men who have been castrated. (laughs) So when you realize that, and the next conversation or next interaction is this with children suddenly coming on the, on the scene, it, it changes the way you think about it a little bit. It's a sort of humorous juxtaposition here. There's been a sort of heated and awkward conversation that's come before and children being natural icebreakers are maybe rushed into the, oh, children are here. And so I think that gives you a bit of sympathy, perhaps, for the disciples um, who are saying, oh, no, this is not the moment for children to be brought to Jesus. We're just having this serious conversation. Maybe it gives us a bit more sympathy. It, it reminded me of more sort of the uh, uh, lockdown BBC News interviews where someone's trying to give a serious interview from their home office and their kids run in in the background, that sort of thing. Ushering them away at that moment is not because they're anti-kids necessarily, uh, but because this is not quite the moment. That may, maybe that is uh, going on here if we're being a bit more generous to the disciples. But in fact, If we look at the whole of chapter 18 and chapter 19, what we see is actually Jesus is saying quite a lot about sort of judgments of faith and the kingdom. And in many ways, just like this conversation here about marriage, he's challenging the views of today and of the day and saying that they're not really understood. They've rested you know, the the religious leaders or maybe the disciples themselves have rested on certain assumptions of how they should read the Old Testament law and how they should interpret that and what God is like and how people might get to God and what that might look like. And Jesus in these chapters here is using story, is using sort of debate and points of the law and is using illustrations, including children, to, to really challenge much of these ideas. Let me just list all these things. If you, if you have a Bible, turn back to chapter 18. At the beginning of chapter 18, Jesus is talking about children as well. The disciples are having a conversation. Jesus said, Unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom. So we have here Jesus using the example of children, again, to speak of something about what the kingdom of God is like. And then in the next passage, that famous passage about if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now Jesus is speaking hyperbolically. He's exaggerating something, but he's talking about the seriousness of sin. He goes on to talk about the parable of the lost sheep. Again, this sort of theme of eternity. Where will we be eternally? How do we get there? What is God like discerning who gets there and who doesn't? Next passage, 15 to, verses 15 to 20, talk about when you sin against one another. Again, serious topic. 21 to 35, the parable of the unforgiving servant. 
and the importance of forgiveness in the, in the ways of the kingdom. The start of chapter 19, I've just talked about teaching about divorce. And then we have this passage where the children come to Jesus. And then straight after that, you have the story of the rich young ruler, the man who came to Jesus and said, well, Jesus, you know, good teacher. I've, I've completed, I've done all the commandments. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, great. Now give everything that you have away to the poor. Time after time after time, Jesus is just smashing these ideas that the people and the crowds around would have about what the kingdom is like and how people might enter it. Can I get there on my own effort and worth? No, you can't. I, you must become like children. What? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Sin is ser- Sin's more serious than people realize. Forgiveness is more important than people realize. He's speaking about faith and not works, not relying on their own efforts, but looking to trusting God and, and coming to him by faith. He's challenging them in all these sorts of ways. And that passage, chapter 19, comes to a conclusion. Having heard all this, And seeing the way Jesus interacted in all these episodes, verse 25 of chapter 19, it says, when the disciples heard all this, they were greatly astonished. (laughs) Their minds had been blown. Saying, who then can be saved? All of this is about who can be saved? Who can be forgiven? How can we enter this eternal kingdom that you're talking about, Jesus? And Jesus replies to them, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Bottom line, to come to God, you've got to realize you can't come to God by yourself. To be right with God, you have to realize you can't make yourself right with God. To be saved, you have to realize you cannot save yourself. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's using so many different ways of saying the same thing. And so when we realize that's the context, when Jesus says, hey, look at these children, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, if you want to come into my kingdom, you you have to be like this. You have to come to me helpless. Learn from these children. They can't do anything. They're being brought to them. You want to push them away, but no, I'm saying they're coming in the right way. (laughs) They're just helpless. That's the way. That's the way to come to me. Learn dependence. Learn humility. Learn your helplessness before God. If you want to understand my kingdom, you need to understand that you're helpless. Have you learned that? Have you recognized that? Do you cherish that? Do you recognize your need for God's help each and every day? 
Do you come to him dependent? Do you come to him dependent? You see, we read a story like this. I wonder, as we read it out, who you associate yourself with. Who are you in this story? Maybe you associate and resonate with the disciples. Jesus kind of rebukes them. He challenges them. They don't get it. And maybe you're on a journey of faith right now and you're trying to understand these words of Jesus and you're starting to hear some of the things that he said and it's just coming at you at a different angle. You're not realizing or not expecting him. Jesus is surprising you. Jesus is shocking you with the things that he's saying and you don't quite get it. If, you do, if you're in that situation now, good news. Good news. Because if that's the case, you're starting to see the real Jesus. That's what the real Jesus is like. The disciples found that. <laughs> Jesus was constantly contradicting them, saying, no, you don't quite get it. My ways are not your ways. Listen to me. Learn from me. Here's my wisdom. If Jesus seems confusing to you, you're probably hearing the real Jesus. Take heart. Press in. Keep listening. Ask him for help to understand his truth and his wisdom and his life that he offers through his word. But I would think also most of us would read this story and we'd put ourselves in the position of a, an onlooker to this story. We say, oh yeah, Jesus, people bringing children to him. Yeah, Jesus, the nice cuddly Jesus, the friendly Jesus, the one who has his picture taken with children and isn't Jesus nice? But friends, if you're interested in the kingdom of Jesus, I believe Jesus wants us to see ourselves in this story as his young children. Those who come to him helpless. Is that how you see yourself? Many of you have walked with Jesus for many years. You never graduate from your need of Christ. You never graduate from being dependent on Him, on His grace, on His strength, on His truth, on His faithfulness. In fact, as you grow in following Jesus, as you begin to understand the ways of his kingdom, you actually grow to recognize more of your dependence on him, more of your need for him, more of your reliance on his wisdom, on his grace, on his kindness. Because you realize there is more and more and more and you realize more and more how silly, how foolish it is to rely on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's the definition of helplessness? Unable to defend oneself or to act without or to act without help. Recognizing we can't do life without you. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you realize you can't do life without him. We are at our best when we realize we can't live without God's help. We forget this. We forget this because we do live in an age of self-sufficiency. We're encouraged to think, no, you can do it. Believe in yourself. But the gospel comes in as counters that. No, no, don't believe it. Believe in Christ. 
depend on him. And the wonderful news of Scripture is that God is a God who has come to us as our helper. The God who made you is your helper. Psalm 54 verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. The more you know God, the more that truth seems wonderful. That God would help me. He's come to me so that I might depend on him for everything. What does that look like in your life? Oh, friends, I need to learn this, don't you? So prone to go into a day of my own strength, go into a situation thinking I know, leaning on experience, leaning on gifting, leaning on what I think is right. And those, those things are not wrong, but they're to be submitted to God and say, God, actually, you lead, you help. Starting each day in prayer, God, I need you today. You know, sometimes circumstance forces us into this situation, doesn't it? We, really, we get to the end of ourselves because something goes wrong, because stress starts to mount up, because the challenge before us is too difficult in the workplace or with family situations or with ourselves and our mental health or whatever. And we say, God, I need you. <laughs> that's the best place to be. We come to the realization and God's like, yeah, you need me every single moment of every single day. I'm glad we're on the same page now. <laughs> Our hope is in the abundant supply of his goodness, that he is our help. That he has all the wisdom and all the strength and all the encouragement and he richly supplies it because he is God, our helper. And he invites us to draw again each day from the well of his abundant goodness. That will never run out. We need to be reminded Christian maturity is to depend on God more, not less, more. You might think, well, we're talking about being needy and helpless before God. Does, does God not want us to be confident? Does God not want us to be assured? Does God really want us to be helpless and miserable? Who said anything about miserable? <laughs> Consider the Apostle Paul in Scripture. And the trajectory of his life. And he wrote many letters. And it's in one of the last letters that Paul writes. He writes to Timothy and he's approaching the end of his life. He knows it's coming. And how does he think of himself? It's then, at the end of his life, the most mature Paul, this great apostle. And he refers to himself, the chief of sinners. <laughs> he, he recognizes just how much he needs God. But you know what? That recognition of how much of a sinner he has been is a recognition of the depth of the grace of God. As he has grown in maturity, 
He's recognized more and more his need for grace, but also the abundant provision of God's grace. And Jesus said that those who have been forgiven much love much. As we grow in faith, as we grow in following Jesus, we realize just how much we need him. But we also realize how deep his grace is towards us. That is not a miserable place to be. The more helpless we are before God, the more we recognize just how abundant his grace is. And people who are helpless before God are the most helped by him. (laughs) They can achieve much for God. They are effective people for God because they wholeheartedly rely on the grace of God. Jesus said, learn from these children. They realize they can't do anything. They just depend. (laughs) That's teaching you something. Depend on me like they are dependent. You know, there's a story, I think it was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Short story called The The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. (laughs) This novel about someone who ages backwards. And he gets so old, he eventually becomes a child. (laughs) And thinking about these things made me think of that story. I wonder if that's how it'll be. (laughs) The The more mature we get in God the more we know his ways. In faith, the more childlike we become. Jesus said that in chapter 18, verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's what it's like in God's kingdom, in eternity, to be children before him. Fully dependent, fully trusting, just enjoying the innocence and joy of perfection before him. That's what the kingdom is like. That's where we're heading for those who trust in him. You're becoming more childlike in your trust in your father. He invites you. To come to him just like that. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. In verse 15. And he laid his hands on them and went away. See when we come childlike before God. Knowing our need. Knowing our lack. We place ourselves under the kind hand of God. The hands of Jesus have great symbolism. And as we read Jesus laying his hands on children here, we recognize it's those same hands that were soon to be nailed to a cross. See, to live under Jesus' blessing is to live under the blessing of forgiveness that comes from the cross. That's where he paid for our sin. That's where he purchased our forgiveness. And even after his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, Look, I bear the scars. Still there, showing he's paid the price. He's purchased your forgiveness. You live under his hand means living under the blessing 
of the gospel. So what's, what's hindering you from coming to him today? Coming to Jesus. It's not him. He's not turning away. He has borne your forgiveness on his hands and they're stretched out to you today. Come to him. Come to him. Come to him. Jesus, we so thank you for your love, for your goodness, and for your cross, from which flows our forgiveness. Help us to know your hand on us right now, that we might receive your love afresh and ever live dependent on you and your love. In your name we pray. Amen.